Welcome to my podcast, Why Didn't Anyone Tell Me This? With my guests, we are discussing health issues, questions you may have about your health, and debunking some of the myths around your health. And it's a really great pleasure today to introduce you to Alina Bergman, Berglund. And she is going to talk to us today about the power of big data in women's health. And this is going to be such an exciting podcast. I'm sure you're going to love it. So Alina is the co-founder and CEO. I was looking back that you weren't CEO before, but I think you are CEO now. I think that's correct. Um, You're CEO of Natural Cycles, the women's health company that developed the world's first birth control app. Prior to founding Natural Cycles, Alina had an amazing career. Excuse me. She was part of the team that discovered the Higgs boson at the CERN laboratory, which led to the Nobel Prize in Physics in 2013. And following this success, Alina took was looking for an effective natural birth control and decided to apply her skills from particle physics to create a unique algorithm that could accurately pinpoint when a woman was fertile using their body temperature. From there, Natural Cycles was born, and today Natural Cycles has over 3 million registered users. Now, Alina and I met several years ago, and we've done a few projects together with Natural Cycles, which we will talk about today, and we've actually published two papers together. So welcome, Alina. Thank you so much, Joyce. It's great to to meet you again. So let's talk about your amazing career. It really is hugely impressive. So tell us more about your career before you developed Natural Cycles. Yeah, so as you mentioned, I um, I was a particle physicist at uh, the CERN laboratory, which is um, outside Geneva, Switzerland, uh, on the border between France and Switzerland. Uh, and that was an amazing experience because we um, we collide particles at at almost the speed of light and see what comes out to kind of further understand the fundamentals of the universe. And um, I I always wanted to be a physicist since I was a little girl and I was always obsessed by uh, understanding like the the night sky and what is the Big Bang, what are black holes. Uh, So I thought particle physics was, was really interesting. And there I also learned a lot about huge amount of data like people say big data but i know that often it's not big data at least not compared to cern and advanced statistical methods of analyzing this this big data um but i also have met amazing colleagues there and some of them i work with still today at natural cycles because uh, we do still have a data science office in geneva so i, I feel i'm very lucky to have two such amazing <laughs> careers and, and amazing colleagues as well that's re- really, really wonderful. And it's so good. We know in physics, especially of all the sciences, there's not necessarily a high number of women. So that will be so inspiring. And it's been 10 years since you founded Natural Cycles. So I know there's a great story behind it. So please tell us what made you want to develop a natural form of contraception. Yeah. So it came about. Um... Yeah, it started a little bit over 10 years ago when I was looking for a a natural way to effectively prevent pregnancies for myself. I'd been on the hormonal implant for about 
10 years. Uh, and also I tried the pill when I was a teenager, which didn't really work for me. And it was time to take out my implant. And I knew I wanted to have kids in a few years. So I thought maybe I shouldn't put in a new one, but rather figure out a way to to get in sync with my body before I want to get pregnant and and prevent pregnancy naturally. And that was also at the same time as we were looking for the Higgs particle at CERN. So it was a very intense but exciting time. And um, in the summer of 2012, where we discovered the Higgs particle, which which did lead to the Nobel Prize, um, that was when I thought, like, I, I cannot top this in physics. I, I will never be able to experience something so big again in physics. So I might as well do something else. <laughs> um, so that's when I was discussing with my uh, my husband that um, I had, you know, uh, started creating this algorithm just for myself that was uh, running on body temperature to understand when when I was fertile and when I was not fertile. Uh, and then he suggested, well, this algorithm that you created, probably a lot of women and couples are looking for either uh, natural contraception or help to get pregnant and understand their bodies and when they ovulate. So we should make this algorithm into an app such that uh, all women and couples can profit from this innovation. And I thought that, yeah, actually, this is very exciting and something that where I can use my skills and in programming and algorithm development and data analysis and all these things, but for the purpose of women's health, which I thought was a, a very exciting topic. So, so that's kind of how it came about. Tell us a little bit more how the app actually works, if you're using it as a contraception or if you're using it the other way, flipping it the other way and using it to try and get pregnant. Yeah, so it's kind of like two sides of the same coin. The most important thing is that in our algorithm, we detect ovulation in your temperature data uh, and we give red and green days. So uh, on a red day, you're fertile or you might be fertile and on a green day, um, you're not fertile. So when when it comes to if you use it to um, prevent pregnancy, then um, the most important thing is that, you know, the green days are safe and they're definitely not fertile. Well, if you use it to plan a pregnancy, we try to better isolate that six-day fertile window in the cycle where you actually have a chance to get pregnant. And as we know, there are really only three days in the cycle where you have a high chance of getting pregnant. So we try to inform you of when that is. Um, and I should also mention that we are, uh, or Natural Cycles is, is the only digital uh, contraceptive method that is uh, approved by the FDA and CE marked in Europe and now also cleared as a medical device for contraception in Singapore, Australia and South Korea. Uh, so we're the first of its kind with this and, and that's of course very exciting and also thanks to that we have published so many clinical studies, I think 17 to date and, and four of them are around contraceptive effectiveness. Um, and right now Natural Cycles is in a very exciting uh, time because uh, initially when we started 10 years ago women had to measure their temperature with a simple thermometer when they wake up in the morning and enter it into the app and get their red or green day um, but we've now got an additional FDA clearance first to integrate with uh, a wearable which was the aura ring so you can measure with the aura ring when you sleep and on Tuesday we're launching a new integration that we got 
very recently a new FDA clearance for, which is the integration with the Apple Watch. So the Apple Watch has, uh, since last year, added a temperature sensor. So we've now uh, quickly performed clinical studies uh, with the Apple Watch submitted to the FDA and to the European authorities. And now uh, we have the clearance. So on Tuesday, it will be available for all our users and potential new users that want to measure their temperature with the Apple Watch and use natural cycles. So this this podcast, I think, is coming out in November. And we're recording it now in September. So by the time you hear this, this will have been launched with, with Apple. So that's that's an amazing achievement for natural cycles. And just to go back a little bit for women who might not uh, realize, but what happens with the temperature is it's actually the day you ovulate, your temperature, your basal, what we call the basal body temperature, slightly increases. And that's what you are measuring, which you used to do with the thermometer, but now we've got the ring and we've got the Apple Watch that will make that automatic for you. It will measure that change in your body temperature. So it will tell you the day that you're ovulating. So as you've said, for contraception or for um, trying to get pregnant, knowing that day of ovulation, I personally think is really, really important for women to understand how their body works. So with the uh, new improvements with the ring and the Apple Watch, women won't need to put in that temperature anymore, but they will still be inputting the first day of their menstrual cycle, won't they? Yes, indeed. They need to tell us when their uh, first day of the period happens. Yeah, but it but it certainly will make it so much more streamlined. And and obviously these new wearables are giving women a lot more information about their health, not just about their their fertility. So it's I love a win win situation, and it certainly is a win win. Now, Alina, you mentioned about the regulators. So you your FDA approved, your CE marked, and and growing number of um, approvals from the regulators. But I know it's not been an easy journey. And it's I, I know from the work that I've done to get these sorts of things is very, very time consuming. And you you plowed through with this. You kept going when you met many hurdles. What sort of hurdles did you have? And how did you keep going to, to continue getting this uh, product actually certified? Yeah, when we started 10 years ago, apps were fairly new and it wasn't it wasn't at all clear that an app could be a medical device like it is today so we kind of had to pave the way there with the regulators and also the regulations weren't they weren't created for digital products um so there was a lot of um kind of back and forth of what type are we a medical device what type of medical device are we um but eventually we kind of forced the way and we in, 2017, we got the CE marked in Europe as a contraceptive medical device. And then in 2018, for the FDA for, for the US. So that was, a, uh, that was two huge milestones for, I think, not only natural cycles, but for uh, the future of, of, uh, of women's health and you know, uh, health in general. That's, you know, we're coming into this new era where we collect more and more biometric data and we can actually do important things with that data. Yeah, you you really have led the way, which is always hard to lead the way because you have the, the problems that can happen when people don't 
quite know how to uh, deal with your particular application. So you've you've done an amazing job in leading the way for others now to make this much easier. And besides those problems, over the years, you, you have had criticisms about being a contraceptive app. And I, I know when I first heard about you, um, I thought, wow, that's that's really tricky doing it that way around. If you're a fertility app and you're helping tell people when they're fertile, then it, it's almost a win-win because they might get pregnant, which is what they want, which is like, brilliant. That's what we want to do. And if they don't get pregnant, it's not a, not a you know, they, they obviously keep trying. It is a big deal, but they keep trying. But with a contraception app, um, it's sort of a, a, a negative situation. If you don't get pregnant, that it's doing its job. But if you do have a pregnancy, then it's a failure. So it's not so much of a win-win situation. But I absolutely appreciate the, the passion you had because of what you needed at this time of your reproductive life. This is exactly what you needed, a, a non-invasive, non-hormonal way of contraception. So at, at the beginning, there were criticisms because with every method of, con- almost almost every method of contraception, there are there is a failure. Um, certainly even with the contraceptive pill, it's not 100% effective. So when there are pregnancies, people are really keen to criticize, but you you dealt with those criticisms. And I, I believe now that you've got so much more data. We're going to talk about your studies now and, and the big data, but with all the clinical trials that you've done, um, tell us now about how effective you feel natural cycles is and and hopefully confirm that the negative criticisms have really reduced yeah um and indeed i think with any innovative product there's always going to be some skepticism and um and especially in the field of women's health and especially when it comes to indeed contraception and as you say, no contraceptive method is 100% effective. And there will always be unintended pregnancies, which I think is why many or most companies or re- like shy away from doing innovation in this field. But that is a shame because we really need innovation here too. Um, so by now, indeed, we've published many clinical studies. And as part of being a, a medical device for contraception and a digital one, we also follow up with our contraceptive effectiveness on a monthly basis, and the regulators audit us against that. So by now, 10 years later, it's very clear that Natural Cycles is an effective product to prevent pregnancies. Um, it is uh, 93% effective with typical use. And um, if you only think about the, uh, the algorithm failures, they are much fewer than it's 99.5% effective. But the biggest reason for pregnancy um, and the difference between those numbers is because even though the app tells you that you are fertile today and you need to use protection, um, women don't always follow that. Um, So we see that especially women around 30, they're thinking about having a kid in a year or two. They they take more risks than, say, the women that are in their 20s that are actually much more diligent. Uh, which is interesting also because a lot of the initial skepticism was about like, but young women cannot handle this information about their body. Well, I think they can. This is very clear in our data that actually we should trust young women. Uh, and when I say young women, uh, there is an 18-year limit to use natural cycles because we haven't performed any clinical studies for below 18. But 
yeah, still young women are very good at actually handling this information. So you don't have to put them on the pill necessarily uh, if they don't want to. Um, and to put things into perspective, uh, the pill is also around 93% effective, but with typical use, but women get pregnant for different reasons. Too. They might forget to take the pill. Um, so both the pill and natural cycles is, is less effective than uh, methods that go inside the body and you can completely forget about, like the hormonal implant or the IUD, but are more effective than, say, just using condoms or other less effective methods like the calendar method or so. And I really wanted to thank you because over the decades, we have had no other new innovations, it, well, hardly hardly any. We've got variations of hormonal contraception, such as the implants. Um, but really, yours is, for me, one of the most important, if not the most important method, novel method of contraception that we have. And it's giving people the alternative to the, I think, all of the contraception methods have a, a for and against. And I think it's important for women at different times of their lives to use whatever contraception is right for them at that time. And certainly at certain points, I think using your app would be really, really relevant. And for me, especially with regards to trying to get pregnant, I think your app has really important information for women to understand how their menstrual cycle is working. And, and it's just really useful. And we'll, we'll talk a little bit in a moment about the research that we've done relating to time to pregnancy. But just one thing about um, the app for contraception. I have heard you talk about the potential of using this in the developing world. So has, has that project progressed at all? I, I still think there's a, a big potential for using it in the developing world. The challenge so far has been indeed that you need to measure temperature and therefore you need a hardware component in addition to the phone, which makes it more expensive and less, yeah, more difficult to distribute. Um, I still hope that there's a future now when we transition to the wearable if, with more low-cost wearables in developing countries um, to reach those women more at scale than we have so far. Yeah, certainly a potential there. So let's talk about big data and about research, which is um, a passion that we both have from our careers. And you've worked with many scientists and you've really done brilliant studies, which I think is so important. And especially this year, I've been listening to a lot of health tech pitches or um, technology specifically for women. So in the femtech arena, so femtech, many people might not know, but it's using digital technology to improve women's health. So such as as your app, um, or period tracker apps, et cetera, fertility apps would be classed as, as femtech as well, as well as health tech. And I have heard so many people pitching their uh, new tech idea, their new app or whatever recently. And I've, I've really become very frustrated. I've heard technology that doesn't actually make any sense to me I, I won't name specific examples on my podcast I don't I don't want to um, sort of pinpoint anybody but so many of the technology I've heard it means well it certainly is trying to do something great 
but we don't have the technology to do that at the moment. So, for example, they might be saying they're going to measure something in particular, but we can't measure that at the moment. So we don't have the tech to do that. But they are producing some um, product that they say is going to measure that. So I, I do get a bit frustrated. And um, in in the fertility field, we have a lot of treatment with no evidence around it. And the beauty of what you've been doing is you've been trying to ensure that you have got that clinical data. You've spent a lot of money and a lot of energy on the studies that you've done for that clinical data. Could you tell us a little bit more about some of the studies or the main clinical studies that you've done? The, the one, for example, to find the effectiveness of natural cycles. How did you do that? Um, yeah, I mean, with any any uh, research, it, it takes time and patience and, and also a lot of, yeah, as you say, money and energy. <laughs> and uh, it helps, though, to be a digital product because in some sense it's easier to collect big data at scale. And some of our publications on um, contraceptive effectiveness are the largest of its kind. One is with more than 22,000 women, for instance. Um, and now we also, uh, we've really scaled up our, our research team uh, and our data science team. And we do a lot of trials and we even like, do them together with partners such as Samsung, which is really cool and uh, testing everything from like different types of hardware sensors to uh, also more women's health specific research. And, uh, and we also partner with um, professors in reproductive health and, and for instance, NIH, we published studies on, on the effect of COVID vaccine on, on the menstrual cycle, which is very interesting. And, and, I think easier to do because we're a digital product because we can then um, ask our users questions in the app and they answer it. And we of course ask their consent to use their anonymized data uh, for the purpose of research. But um, I think it's much easier to, to do large scale um, clinical studies today than maybe it was before when you have to like have someone come into a clinic and ask them questions in person. Yeah, let's let's talk a little bit more about your studies. Um, that you mentioned the COVID one there before we talk about the the studies we did together. So I know in with the COVID vaccines, it did affect some people's periods, and I was getting regular phone calls from people asking me, you know, my periods have changed, or uh, menopausal women, postmenopausal women who had started to have periods again. So what did, what did you find in that study? Yeah, we did find that. There was a, an effect, although a small effect, and especially if women receive their vaccines early in the cycle, um, which I thought was very interesting because, you know, with these kinds of information, then one can take action, right? And maybe not take the vaccine when you're on your period. Um, so, so this was very interesting. And then so we published two papers on the effect on the cycle length and another one on bleeding quantity. And there we saw that um, the COVID vaccine also had a small effect on uh, the total bleeding. So it was a small increase, um, but it, both the cycle length and um, the increased bleeding was resolved the following cycle after. So it's, it's not a sustained effect, 
but it's still good to be aware. So all these women that were indeed reaching out saying like, I, I noticed differences in my cycle. What's, what's going on? I think it's good to have studied it and understanding like, and also managing the expectations that yeah, this might happen, but there's it's not really anything to worry about. Your following cycle will be normal again. And when, um, when I was hearing these stories, I couldn't work out why I couldn't work out the mechanism of, why the COVID vaccine would have affected the reproductive system. Did, did you ever think of how that could be happening in, within the body? So, I, so this, I don't know for sure. So this is my hypothesis. So, so uh, take it with a grain of salt. But I think because when you get the, the vaccine, there, there is like an immune response, like similar to if you have a real effect, infection. So actually what I would like to study is that if, if you get sick on your period with a real infection, uh, I'm guessing that this effect might be the same. So it's something that changes in the body when you get this immune response in the very beginning of your cycle that then affects the, the hormones in the body uh, for that first cycle. Uh, I, it actually happened to me after we published this that I did get sick in the beginning of my cycle. And for the first time, I, I usually have a rather regular cycle, but uh, I, I was bleeding for three weeks and I had like a, I took, I had a six week cycle and that had never happened to me before. So it made me also think that maybe it was this infection that I had in the very start of the cycle. So now I'm very curious and want to study <laughs> everything around it. it. It's amazing. You'd think in 2023, we would have an answer to that that question already. Um, and um, one of my podcast guests was Marika Big, who's written a book about um, research on women and the fact that we we know so little. It's it's really quite astounding. If there was something to do with if we got an infection at certain times of our cycle, how we reacted. I mean, why don't we know that already? It's it's crazy. Yeah, we should. <laughs> but Indeed. more work for us to do. And you know, as scientists, we always have, have more questions. We never get less questions. We always get more. And I'm I'm very interested. <laughs> I'm very interested in the menopause. And you've also done a study on women over forty and menopause. Um, I, I t- tell us a little bit about that study. And I I always we've had some discussions with some menopause experts on here about whether the menstrual cycle is the first thing to change. The the endocrinologist will tell us that it's got to be the menstrual cycle that changes before the women get other symptoms of the menopause, perimenopause, such as hot flushes. But the women are saying they start getting some of these symptoms before their, their periods change. So tell us about what you've found out through natural cycles around the, the perimenopause and, and that research you've done. Yeah, this is not something we have yet to publish, but but still we have um, we have both looked into the data and we've also asked our users that are in perimenopause um, different things, which is very interesting to, to look at the results. And indeed, we do see the cycle start to change, like the, the follicular phase starts getting shorter and shorter. So this is the time between uh, menstruation and ovulation and the cycle becomes uh, more irregular and they more often have an ovulatory cycle, so cycles without ovulation. Um, and we also asked our users like how they feel about perimenopause or menopause. And um, the, the answers are very interesting. So like 
almost all of them, 92% of the users answer that they have low or medium knowledge and that they feel like they need more information and support, um, which I think shows that there's there's a gap here. It's still, it's, menopause is still a little bit taboo. And um, there has also other studies been made to show that doctors are not always trained enough on menopause and not always comfortable to to talk about it with a patient and uh, and also it's hard for them to understand what's going on because they only see the woman and her cycle and hormones on that day she comes in but we can actually see how it gradually changes over time uh, which is very interesting I think. Yeah I, I totally agree with you that women women don't know how would they know about the menopause they've never been taught about this and the health professionals don't know because they haven't been trained about it most of them um so we we're, we're just um developing now we've got the first piece of funding to develop a, a uk um, menopause education and support program where we would have a suite of different types of courses for women at different times of their lives and for for men and uh, lgbt community etc etc um that um, they could learn about the menopause and also get support, peer support from those that are also going through it. So we're very, very excited about this program. We hope that this will be something that every woman in the UK can get hold of and get access to so that they can really learn about this before they go through it, not not when they've gone through it or mm. you know had symptoms for two years. So um, yeah, I think there's a lot of data, big data from your side that you could um, find out about. And, and there's a lot of work around the menopause for, for, for you there, for sure. Um, let's, let's talk how we started working together. So um, I've already told this story today because I've been, been talking to uh, Kiri Berry from uh, Australia, who is wanting wanted me to do a discussion about the work that we've done together for her students to learn about. So I was up very early this morning recording um, something with Kiri, but I'll, I'll say I'll say this story again, um, which is one of my students was doing a presentation and she told us about natural cycles. And I think I, I, I need to go back and check the year, but I think you'd been going for about four, four or five years at that time. Um, and I was just fascinated. I was fascinated by the big data I was fascinated by the very clever move to um, that that people could consent to their data being used for research, and obviously, obviously there are people have qualms about data, but for us, um, you know, this is totally anonymous data, and having that big data is just so important. And at this time, I was writing my book. And when I wrote my book, I went and read some of the original papers of all the topics I was writing about. Why do we think you know, X, Y, and Z? Um, where did this information come from? And because so much information becomes like Chinese whispers over the years, especially with social media, I thought, hmm. let's go back to the original source and see where these things happen. So with regarding the menstrual cycle, I was very skeptical about this 28-day cycle with ovulation on day 14 that we all learn about at school. And when I was researching my book and went back to the original papers, I found that they were on very small numbers of women. Um, some of them were like 100 women. They were normally um, Caucasian. They had a normal BMI. So 
we were having a very uh, slight view of actually what a woman's menstrual cycle was. So when I'd written the, written the book at the back of my mind, I thought I really would like to look at some of the big data. And then when I heard that you had big data, for me, the most important from your standpoint was that you had not just the day of the period, but you had accurate information about ovulation. And though the period and ovulation for me are the two key events of the menstrual cycle, and they really need to be measured in some way. So a, a normal period tracker app that lots of people use is not measuring ovulation as your app is. Your app is getting women to measure this, measuring their basal body temperature. So we know accurately when they're ovulating. And the other apps that just look at dates are giving women a hugely inaccurate estimate of when they're ovulating. So I was very excited to um, contact you and I contacted you in the next day. Um, one of your brilliant staff at the time, Simon Rowland, um, contacted me straight back and said, Joyce, let's meet. <laughs> and I can remember the meeting very, very well. <laughs> we, were, we were just bubbling over with ideas and enthusiasm about the possible research that we did. Um, so we did two papers and I really love them. And as I said, people are still asking me about them today. I talked a lot with Kiri about um, the first paper, which was the recharacterization of the menstrual cycle. So from the big data, we looked at over 600,000 cycles and you had many, you have many millions in your database, but we wanted the data to be quite clean. So we looked at um, over 600,000 cycles and we found that only 13% of women had a 28 day cycle and that um, these women that they most of them, uh, I think it was 65% were ranging between 25 and 30 days, which is really quite normal. But women, women aren't taught what is normal. They're just taught 28 days and they do get anxiety when they have periods or cycles that are shorter or longer. But a lot of these are in the normal range. So that was that was really good to, to know some numbers on that. And that 13% having a 28 day cycle is, you know, really interesting data. But for us, the most important thing was the day of ovulation. And since we published this, this work together with you, there have been not a, num not a number of big data studies by other people on other data sets that have found exactly the same, that the day of ovulation wasn't on average day 14, which we're told. And some apps, the period tracker apps are estimating day 13. Um, and those are, these are the apps that are not measuring anything on ovulation. But so we found that it was uh, much closer to day 16 and it ranged from day 10. I think that, that was the earliest we saw anyone ovulate. But I think I think the highest was something like day 25. So people with very long cycles will obviously ovulate much later. So I think for women to understand their menstrual cycle, whether they're trying to get pregnant or not, whether they want children or not, at all ages, I think using an app such as yours to understand their own body and their own natural cycle is really, really important. So um, is there anything that you found exciting about that first paper that we did together besides what I've said, or was that the main things that you were excited about? I think you summarized it very well. And indeed, like 
just this basic myth that you have a 28 day cycle or obviously on day 14 is so strong. And I, I still hear that feedback all the time. And also, for instance, uh, many women still think that because I think the pill is kind of designed based on this because you get uh, artificial induced bleeding on day 28, right? And and that was designed to make women think that, oh, everything is good because I have a regular 28-day cycle. And I still get this um, question or a statement a lot like, but I do have a 28-day cycle every every month and uh, it's perfect. And I'm like, are you on the pill? And they're like, yes. But yeah, but that's why. <laughs> it is not, you know, it, it is different than if, if you're not on the pill. And, and many w- women still don't know that. Yeah, I for, for me, the education has been uh, a real passion of mine for, for many years. Since I started in this field in the 80s, uh, ed- educating has been a passion. But um, now more than ever, and we've, we've set up an international reproductive health education collaboration to try and ensure that people understand, and, and I don't think there's a lot they need to understand, but they, they need to start by understanding the menstrual cycle and the variations, the natural variations, which I think this paper showed really well, that, yeah, we're, we're all individual and there will be variations, but but also understanding what's abnormal and what may be uh, an indicator that there's something you may want to get uh, checked. So, for example, if you've got a very long cycle, it could be polycystic ovary syndrome, and this could have, this this has other um, effects and symptoms that you may want to get treated uh, sooner rather than later. And things like endometriosis, you know, women understanding that having a painful period is not correct. And if it's affecting their well-being, it may well be something more severe, such as endometriosis. And our second paper we did was looking at, obviously, interest to me, time to pregnancy. So as I said, if I, if, if I think it's important if you're trying to get pregnant to understand when you're ovulating and understand your cycle. I know lots of people want to do this totally naturally and not use any app or anything, but I think something like your app, um, and I think calling it natural cycles was genius. <laughs> and it still to this day has so many sort of meanings there. Um, and it is so natural. So I I think we don't want people to get anxious and stressed and always be worrying about their cycle. But I think even way before you want to get pregnant, just being in tune with your body, understanding how it's working, understanding about things that can affect it. So when you're trying to get pregnant, it just becomes natural that, well, actually, I know when I ovulate every month and it's there, we've got that information. So we're having intercourse at the right time. So we looked at time to pregnancy with your data. And we found that for the women under 35 who were using the app uh, and very engaged with the app, they were really very high number of them were pregnant within a few months and within six months really the vast majority of those women were were pregnant so i i think using your app if you're trying to get pregnant as well as using it as contraception is is a is a really um great idea and i know you do know how how many women are using this as a contraception app and how many using it as a pregnancy app so most of our users start using it as a contraceptive app, around 80% do, and, and 20% start using it to plan pregnancy right away. But what we see is that 
then since our average new user is around 30, what happens is that maybe a year or two down the line, she switches mode in the app and goes from using it as a contraceptive to, to using it to plan a pregnancy. And that's kind of best case scenario, I would say, because then she already knows her cycle and she already knows when she ovulates. And then on average, she gets pregnant um, rather quickly um, because, you know, she she's she's already into it. Yeah, I love it. I, I just love what I really want women to do, as I said, from from a young age, even if they used your app when they when they were younger, if it, even if they weren't using it as a contraception, but finding out more about their cycle rather than just when their period's coming, also understanding their ovulation. And that's something I'm just so passionate about. And I, I think we we really we we need to embrace the menstrual cycle. The menstrual cycles, it's a difficult thing for women to have to go through for a big portion of their life. And I've been doing a lot of work in schools this year and talking to young girls, 15-year-old girls, about their periods. And they're very, very negative about having a period. And then I've also done a similar study with perimenopausal women, asking them, how do they feel about their period? And they've they've really had enough. <laughs> they, they're, one of them said, I'm having a party <laughs> when they stop. Um, so... Um, but the, but the more I've thought about it, it's it's there. Women have this. Um, obviously, there are ways we can suppress it. We could have a coil, et cetera, you know. Um, but I, I, I've been thinking these last few months that we need to embrace it. We need to um, think about celebrating our menstrual cycle, even though it's, it has ups and downs for sure. And I think learning about that and using an app such as yours to understand not just your period, but also your ovulation and how this changes over your life course is is a, is a really, really good idea. And I, I wish it had been there when I was younger. I I, I may have only started using it as, as most of yours when I was probably about 30, but I, I would encourage people to use it younger, even if they're not using it as a contraception or, or to plan a pregnancy, just to really understand what's happening. Um, I did use something at the time we had called, uh, I think it was called Persona, and it was a big, <laughs> big sort of unit that um, you put some information into. And I think, I can't remember now, I think we were using like a ovulation stick um, that measures luteinizing oh. hormone, but but it was it was very expensive at that time. And these things have become a lot, a lot more accessible and, and, I was frustrated that only then when I was trying to get pregnant was I really understanding so much more about my body. So um, before we move on to the final questions, what sort of comments do women say about using their app? What's their experience like? Well, I think the the most common feedback we get like in the, in the app store directly to us is that women do really enjoy understanding their bodies. So they, they maybe start using natural cycles because they're in need of a natural contraception or they want to plan a pregnancy. But what they realize when they start using it is this feeling of being empowered by understanding what's going on inside. Like, for instance, many women uh, experience PMS and, and the app has PMS reminders. So it tells you, like, uh, you might be feeling some PMS right now. And then they, like, they get it. They, they understand what's happening and, and they feel very relieved. Uh, and they really enjoy that part, which is cool because that's not the 
initial purpose, but it's, it's an amazing side effect of the product, I would say. Yeah, I, I love that. And, and now you've got the ring and the Apple Watch. I think I'd, I'd like to encourage younger women who, you know, to, to just use it. As if you're going to use a period tracker, use natural cycles with your Apple Watch or your ring and and learn about your body. I I think education is so powerful and that knowledge so we can make informed decisions at various times of our lives is so important. And it's something that I really really um talk about a lot so i yeah i i think it's great and i think now making it even easier to use is is very exciting so i'm looking forward to um this podcast will come out slightly later than um all your new uh, exciting announcements so it would be great then to see the feedback that people have had so this podcast is called why didn't anyone tell me this and i called it that because i'd heard so many People and especially women tell me that they wish they'd known this information before. And I'm sure that your work with your app that you've heard people say that. So, what have you heard this, and what sort of things did they ask? Yeah, I, I definitely hear this all the time. Like, um, especially in Sweden, where we have the highest density of users, natural cycles is quite well known. So, like. If I go anywhere, like to the hairdresser or something, and I say, oh, yeah, I'm, I, I'm the founder of Natural Cycles or I, I work for Natural Cycles, they're like, they all have a story to tell because something they realized that they wish they'd known before. But, and there's so many amazing stories and there's so much going on in women's health in general. But I would still say like the most common one is just the basic one that women are taught in school or at a young age that, you know, they can get pregnant any day of the cycle and they're fertile all the time. And, you know, you should not even look at the boy. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and then they realize, but actually, and often they realize this when they're planning a pregnancy and realize it's not so easy that there are only a few days per cycle where you have an increased probability of getting pregnant and understanding when that is, is, is really important, especially if you actually want to get pregnant. So I think many women, you know, they they get told this at school, then they're on the pill for a decade or more. And then one day they, they want to have a baby and they realize that it's maybe not always so easy. Yes, I'm sighing because, you know, the, the work I've been doing with schools, it's still happening. It, we're still, um, we, we've done a lot of surveys asking people about their knowledge of when, when exactly what you said, when a woman can get pregnant. And there are still people that have been told that it's any time of the cycle. And it's not surprising then that they have difficulties trying to get pregnant. Um, And they think it's going to be easy, as you said. So we're still in schools teaching children how not to get pregnant and how not to get a sexually transmitted infection. But the discussions around healthy reproductive health are still a long way away. And the work I've been doing in the UK for about the last six years, um, it, it's actually worse than I thought. We, we're even still separating um, males and females to teach them about things like periods. And the, the children are t- telling me, please don't separate us. <laughs> please keep us in the same room. Please tell everybody about periods and about what it involves and what it's like. 
please tell everyone about menopause and miscarriage. They are really keen to know about these things. And if we don't start in schools, it's just going to get worse. So yeah, it's, I, I wish I could say that in my career, it's improved, but you know, I, 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 I really, I think the sex education from what I've heard from the, the work I've been doing hasn't progressed hardly at all from what I had 40 years, not 40 years, 50 years ago. <laughs> I keep thinking, I keep thinking I'm younger <laughs> than I am. Uh, 50 years ago when I was 10, you know, it, we were still learning the same things and yeah. The kids even say, oh, the video we watched was so outdated. And I really hope it's not the same video as 50 years ago. But yeah, we've got a lot. We've got a lot to do on education. Now, you you as you said at the beginning, you you've had almost two amazing careers. You had two totally different careers in your work with physics and now your work with the app, even though I know there are definite overlaps. So you have obviously been very motivated to do these two amazing careers so with a sort of bit of careers advice for the younger generation what motivates you what 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 makes you get out of bed in the morning and think right I'm going to work so hard on these projects that you've dedicated so much time to so it's a good question and I ask myself this quite a lot too and maybe I don't have a 100% 100% clarity on why, uh, where I get this from. But I think one thing that has been important is that I've always followed my passion. So I've always been very interested in what I'm doing. So I was very excited about physics. And my parents sometimes thought maybe it's a bit strange that their daughter wanted to study something so nerdy like, like physics. Um, but I've been, you know, for to me, it was always obvious that this is my math and physics are my favorite subject in school. So this is what I will study. I will not, I didn't care so much actually about the career itself. I didn't study for the sake of having a career. I just follow what I was interested in. And um, I remember when I was very young, I used to tell myself, like, imagine you have all the money in the world. What would you do? And that's how I kind of decided what to do because, and it worked out well, like um, same, like when I switched to natural cycles, you know, I worked the first years without any salary because there was no salary to get, but I followed the same principle. Like, you know, what's my passion, what's interesting is more important than the money. Um, And of course, I'm also very privileged to have been able to do that. Like, Uh, It's not always possible for anyone to do that. And I realized that, Um, but it really worked well for me to just follow my interests and my passion rather than think about, okay, I will have a great career. If you see what I mean. Yeah. Passion, passion is so important. It's a word I use a lot. And, and I think it's so important to be doing something. And I, this segues into the next question. I think it makes people very happy to be doing something that, when they're giving something back and they're really doing something that is, I know it sounds corny, but for the greater good. And you, you have in both of your careers, you've really done that. So this, this next question could be anything. It might be your work or it might be things you, you do in your, in your spare time, but what makes you happy and where is your happy place? 
But I think it's, it's right here in my home office, uh, like sitting here at my laptop and looking at, at data is, is like what I enjoy the most. Like, especially when things are exciting, like now with our launch, I get quite addicted to our, our tool, which updates our data in real time. And uh, sometimes I, I look at dashboards. I, we have statistics on this too. Like I saw in July, I looked at this tool 14,000 times. In a <laughs> so I get quite addicted to this data, but I, I really enjoy it. Um, it's really fun. Uh, of course, also being with my kids is, is great. It's a different, it's very different. And, but I think it's also good for me to like force me away from my laptop and my, my data to, you know, uh, do something else. So spending time with my my family, and, and luckily I get to spend time with my husband doing both, <laughs> since he's my co-founder. Um, so being with my family and looking at my data is what makes me happy. And do do you have a specific happy place besides your office and your home? <laughs> I, I um we work more from home now since COVID, and and I must say, like most of our employees enjoy it, but I enjoy it too. But it's also great to, of course, coming to the office and and seeing our colleagues and uh, I'm based outside of New York and we have an office in New York, but we also have offices in, in Stockholm and in Geneva still. And this summer we spend quite some time in Europe. And I also feel very privileged that I get to do that. Like I, I get to live here outside New York, but I also get to spend time in Europe where I'm from and bringing my kids for two months in Europe every summer is, uh, is really nice. Yeah. Tra- Traveling is always good. And the very last question, what advice would you give your younger self? I I feel like um, I, I was much more naive when I was young and maybe I didn't realize how difficult it would be both with uh, understanding particle physics, but also natural cycles with challenges that has come. But I'm kind of happy I didn't know that because I, if I would have known all the challenges, maybe I wouldn't have dared to do it. So I think I would have just kind of told myself, like, don't worry, it will all work out. It will all be fine. Just go for it. Um, yeah. Yeah. A few people have said that. They've said, don't. I would have told myself not to worry too much about things. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And have that, have that, um, yeah, knowing something that it's always lovely in the future to know that something's going to work out. But so, Alina, thank you so much. It's it's been a great pleasure working with you in the past and I hope we do again in the future. I think there's a, a lot of crossover between what we do and as we've called this that you know big data. Um I think the data that you've got through your app is amazing and you've been doing wonderful research. And thank you so much. Thank you so much for developing a new form of contraception and a really great way for women to plan a pregnancy so i'm really looking forward you, you've always got something new coming out we've got the, the ring and the watch this year so i'm really looking forward to following natural cycles and seeing what's going to happen in the next few years well thank you joyce and thank you for having me and for making this podcast which i think is also very important thank you